0: to share with you our feelings of our heart overflowing. Lord, your word, your son told us in your word that it is uh, out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so we're speaking in song and in praise and in prayer out of the overflow of all of these glorious truths of your love, your redemption, and the beautiful eternity you have prepared for us. And how you use even the most difficult affliction and the most incomprehensible things to teach us how wonderful you are to prepare us for your glory. So in your word today, we pray that you awaken our hearts to listen And as James says, to receive with humility the word implanted and that the result would be be not uh, just hearers, but doers of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You have two pieces in your outline today. One is the outline and then a blank piece of paper to do some drawing on. Uh, if you want to draw that kind of this way in what we would call landscape mode, probably help you. I'm sharing with you something today that's actually a repeat of something that I have done before. But before I get into it, I want to ask you all something. How many of you have ever received a card from Rita Ryan? Raise your hand really high. Oh, okay, put them up real high. Everybody look around. If you've received a card from Rita Ryan, this is amazing. Okay, listen, she needs a card. This morning she called me early and her grandson was killed in a tragic automobile accident. And her heart, the heart of her son and daughter-in-law are broken. And so I'm asking you right now if you would pray for her and write her address down on something real quick. And I would love for her mailbox to be... um, incompatible with the amount of mail she gets this week. Okay, if there are more than one of you in your household, everybody send a card. Um, and, And just let her know you're praying for her, you love her, encourage her, you're so good at this. So if you'll take a minute, write that down, send her a card, let her know you are doing what the scripture says, you are grieving with those who grieve. And that was just a tough thing to get this morning and to process, really heartbreaking uh, for us. Uh, it's Austin Williford is the young man's name. Many of you know Austin, and uh, some of you know him very well. And so, really heartbreaking news this morning. So please, let's take a moment specifically to pray for Rita. Join me. Father, by your mercy, I pray for this whole family. Lord, they're all hurting today. Aaron and Mona hurting, Rita's hurting, all the family, they're just hurting in a way I don't even understand, I can't comprehend it. But you know, Lord, you know. So please, show them your love, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have enjoyed taking us through this particular part of the book of Romans We've been camping on Romans 8, focusing on one chapter, talking about it as a survival kit. If there was just one text that you could take with you out on a desert island, what might it be? This would probably be the greatest of all the texts that you could have in your memory and be able to nourish your soul and encourage your soul with. And we've really been camping there. This is the twelfth week. We're rejoicing. We're in the fourth week of the section in Romans 8 about suffering. And so we're picking up there. This past week, we had a really good time at our volunteer banquet. We rejoiced in being able to encourage those of you. Uh, we had 207 signed up to come, and your staff cooked for you. Steve whooped up those famous ribs and chicken, and Wendy that uh, shrimp bisque, and Sean turning out with the help of, Richard, of course Richard jumped in and helped all of us. Sean turned out those beans, green beans and those, uh, baked beans and that. You getting hungry already in those twice baked potatoes and Sherry's cheesecake and, um, I don't know if you've ever been cooking much in the kitchen, but, uh, the ingredients, uh, always add up to, uh, the sum of the parts are greater than the parts themselves. Uh, if as Sherry's making cheesecake, you know there's several components in there. There's butter. Uh, I don't know how many of you just go to the refrigerator and cut off butter and throw it in your mouth. It's a little gooey. Although I will say I've done that before. Um, and I don't know how many of you have ever drank straight from a vanilla bottle, but vanilla is just incredibly bitter. Uh, we do eat some graham crackers every now and then, but we find them boring by ourselves. By so we add a little something to them, some peanut butter. Uh, and then I don't eat cream cheese by itself, although every now and then on a bagel I might. Uh, put a little just plain cream cheese, but I don't like plain cream cheese too much. But man, when you mix all those things together and you put them in that furnace of affliction called an oven, it turns into something so really good. Well, that's how God uses all of the different things in your life. Some of those things are sweet like sugar, but I don't go to the sugar bowl and just put my spoon down in it and eat straight from it. I find it a little crunchy. In fact, when I order a king cake, I always say, please leave that crunchy sugar off the top. I like it with no crunch. I like it when it's been melted down. You, isn't it amazing what melted sugar does to a donut? You just make a glaze and, oh, wow. And, and and I don't eat flour by itself. I don't just go in the pantry and grab flour and just eat right out. But I sure do love a biscuit. Um, all those components in and of themselves seem really not so good. It's vanilla, the first time I ever tasted it, it really shocked me with how bitter it actually is. As good as it smells, but mixed into something. Really lovely. You take all those things, put them together. God is taking all of these things in the life of a believer. And he's bringing them together to produce something really beautiful in eternity. And so we're going to look together today at that. And uh, I want to make one quick recommendation on a read for you. Um, the article or book or booklet... By C.S. Lewis, it was actually a sermon that he preached called The Weight of Glory. Now, in blueprint there at the bottom, I probably could have done a better job. There's the web address to get that PDF file for free. But for 99 cents, you can get the booklet on Kindle or other kind of readers like that. This is one of the most helpful things in understanding suffering and reward. It's a classic work by C.S. Lewis, and I really want to encourage you to put that in your library and spend some time with it. We have heard about two consequences of following Jesus. They're given to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. So let's camp there for just a second, Romans eight seventeen. And if children Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, in order that we may be glorified with Him. So the with Him is suffering, and the with Him is glory. These are consequences of following Jesus. Jesus told His disciples to take up their cross, to deny their self and follow Him. He warned us with great statements about suffering and about hardship and about the kind of things we would encounter for the sake of His name. In fact, in the blessings, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, He said, blessed are you when men falsely accuse you and hurl insults at you and treat you harshly for the sake of his name. For so they treated the prophets who were before you. And great is your reward. And so Jesus spoke a lot about these two topics. Suffering and glory. Affliction and reward. Hardship and recompense. He spoke frequently of it. He speaks of it from the beginning of his ministry. He speaks of it at the end of his ministry and all points in between. He speaks very strongly on this topic. Well, when Paul wrote Romans chapter eight, he was reflecting the same ideas that he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. In fact, they're almost parallel texts. It seems that he had been guided by the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to flesh it out more or to expand it more or to explain it more than he does in Romans 8. But he uses the same terminology. He uses the same concepts. He uses the same ideas. He uses the same illustrations in both of those texts to get across a particular point. And that point is that our present suffering is accomplishing something of eternal value. Our present suffering is producing something Of eternal value. In God's economy. Nothing is wasted. In the life. Of a believer. Think this through. This is so huge that he makes us a promise about this. In Romans 8.28. He says. God works all things together. For those who love him. For those who are the called. According to to his purpose so what god wants us to know from paul is that your sufferings are kind of like the ingredients in a cake kept by themselves and analyzed alone they're not very appetizing But through the furnace of affliction that you are going through, God is blending all of those ingredients for something beyond your imagination. If you took a person who's never tasted sweets or never tasted pound cake or never tasted chocolate cake and you broke all the components down and let that person taste each one of them one at a time, they would never imagine what could come out when you mix all of those components together. Well, God gives us a picture of this in the work of Apostle Paul. Two places. Let me get you to put your finger on both places. I want you to put your finger in verse 18 of Romans 8. Put it right there. And then flip over, holding that place to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. So, 8, 18... what Paul wants to do in using some terminology here is to get across a particular point. From this, I'm going to try to draw you an illustration that I hope you can take home and maybe give you a little bit of what God has helped me with in going through difficulties in my life. Look at the word... Worthy to be compared in verse 18 of Romans 8. Worthy to be compared. Alright? And then in chapter 4, verse 17, there's the phrase, far beyond all comparison. And Paul is using a term that every adult who'd ever gone shopping would have understood. In the marketplace during Paul's time, they used scales, balances. And in that marketplace, when the scales would come to even, when they would balance, the word that they would use was worthy to compare. That's what they would say. If the stuff on one side equaled the stuff on the other side as the scale centered, that's the word that would be spoken. They would say it's even, but the word they used was worthy to compare. So they were saying that what was on one side was worthy to be compared with what was on the other side. And so it was the way that they used weights and balances in that day so that it would even up. What Paul says in both of these is that what God is doing is not worthy to compare. Think that through. What God is doing is not worthy to compare. So what Paul was introducing was this idea that in this life, if you add up all of the sufferings, all of the hardships, all of the disappointments, death itself, any kind of affliction, persecution, hardship, any kind of thing that brings to us distress, and you put it on one side of the scale, God would always in eternity so far outweigh what's on the temporal side, With what's on the eternal side that you could never say, hey, God's going to even it up. Listen carefully. God's not going to even the score. God is going to give you something so much more significantly beyond all that you can imagine and all that you have suffered and all that you have been distressed by and all that you've been persecuted or afflicted by. It's going to be so much that there will be No comparison. Everything on this side will seem light and momentary. So I want to take you to an idea that I presented to you about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, in the month of June. So I want to get you to draw a little something. Grab your paper, draw this out. Draw a little box and call it a factory. You can make it prettier than mine. I'm not a good artist, and especially when I'm grabbing stuff and drawing shapes. Um, And so here you go, a factory. And factories do something. They're busy producing something. If you got a shoe factory, it's producing shoes. If you've got a car factory, it's producing cars. A factory is producing something. Now, factories have two ends. One end is where all the raw materials go in. Alright, if you're building cars, it's where all the parts come in. If you're building shoes, it's where the leather and the material for the sole and all that come in. So there's one end of the factory where all the raw materials come in, and then there's another end of the factory where the product comes out. And then there's a process in the middle of that that where they're producing it. They're taking the raw materials... They're using energy and other things in there. And then they're giving something out the other side. And here's what's happening in your life. All of your afflictions are coming into your life. Your hardships. Your suffering. Death itself. Sickness. All of the things of this life are coming into the believer's life. And then God is doing something. He's producing something inside of you that is going to be seen at the other end called eternity. We don't get to see the finished product on this side. It's as if... The I don't know if you've ever seen the Nissan plant that's up north of Jackson, Mississippi, but it's one mile long from one end of the plant to the other. It's just a few feet short of one mile long. It's one plant. And all that stuff comes in one end. And then those new Nissans roll out the other end. They're really pretty. Rolling out, I so saw somebody had a new Maxima in the parking lot today. I don't know if it was made there or not, but it rolls right out. And so, really beautiful cars, trucks, and so it's, it's a neat place and you just drive by, you look at it. Well, if, if you could think of, when you're standing on the end of it, where the parts go in, the raw materials, you really can't see where the cars are coming out. You can only see what's going in. If you're standing at that end, you're looking in. It's too far away to see the cars rolling out. It's a mile away. And you can't see the cars rolling out on the far end. You can just see what's going in. That's your perspective right now. Your perspective is you can't see what's coming out the other end in eternity. It's as if we're like the car plant, except the car plant's kind of spitting it all out in heaven. Alright? That's where the finished product is. And all we can see is what's going in. And so when the things come in, they're not assembled. We don't know how they would all go together and work together. And if you've never seen a car, you would definitely be completely, just absolutely bum-fuzzled, standing there watching all these parts going, what does this place produce? I have no idea what this does. Well, you've never seen a glorified body, you've never seen heaven. You've never seen all that God has prepared for you in eternity. So it's beyond your comprehension. But all these parts are being assembled now. So what the Apostle Paul does is he breaks those parts down into three categories. First, he says these parts that are going into the factory of your life They are momentary. Look in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. He starts off and says, for momentary. Okay, so the things that are happening on this side, they're not going to last forever. Sometimes they feel like it. Have you ever hurt so bad you felt like you could just never get through it? You just thought there's no end to this. It just feels like it's going to go on and on. Have you ever been in pain and wondered, will this pain ever cease? Affliction, will this affliction ever stop? The Apostle Paul steps in and says, look, you need to know something about the components going into the factory of your eternal glory. They're momentary. They're momentary. They're not going To last. Does Paul say that means they don't matter? No, he doesn't say that at all. Because they're producing something. But they're momentary. Paul says they also are light. (laughs) Now, you have to understand Paul to do the light thing. Because Paul's not making light of what you're going through. So I don't want you to sit there and say... He doesn't understand what I'm going through. I want you to just go a couple of chapters over and listen to Paul as he tells what he calls light and momentary. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Light and momentary. Verse 23 of chapter 11. Roll just a little further. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I far more. Excuse me, I am more so. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. I don't know how many times you've been beat up, but have you lost count? Paul lost count. He'd been beaten so many times, he lost count. That's what he's calling light. Prison. Don't know how many times. We know there were at least three, maybe four final one leading to his death, that he was in prison for serving God. He calls that light. He's not making light of your situation. What else does he call light? He goes on and says, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 13 on one shoulder, 13 on another shoulder, 13 on the small of the back. Here's how it worked. This was their way of capital punishment. The Jews were not getting away with being able to kill as many people as they were earlier. The Romans cracked down on it. So the Jews said, we got a system that works. We're going to lash them with this little whip that's got some little shards of glass, little shards of pottery in it. We're going to whip them with that. And as they whipped them with it, those things would dig into their skin here, dig into their skin here, dig into their skin here. But here was the trick. They took the whip and just sat it in the corner between beatings that they beat people. And infection would grow in those little shards of pottery and in the leather that was there. And the next guy would get the infection and the infection would kill him. Historians tell us that very few people ever survived one time of this lashing simply because the infection would be the thing that would take their lives. Here, what does he say here? He received this five times. Can you imagine what Paul's back looked like? He calls this light. He is not making light of your situation. What else does he say? He says, three times I was beaten with rods. That's called caning, where they take them, lay them down, strip them down, use something like a bamboo type strip, and when it hits the back, the bark cracks. Because they've let it dry a certain amount of time, when the bark cracks, it opens up a gap. And then when the, when the stick recoils, the gap closes. Removing the skin. It was a master way of taking people and torturing them. Paul's not making light of your suffering, but he's calling this light. He goes on and says, Once I was stoned, that means with rocks, just in case the stone thing kind of lost its understanding in the 60s, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep, frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul calls that light. He's not making light. Of your situation. But he's giving you perspective. He wants you to understand. On this side of the scale. Compared with the weight of glory that's coming. It is so light that it won't even stand in comparison in eternity. So what's next? He he, he does the next thing. here. I lost my clicker here. There we go. Affliction. That's the word to describe all that Paul went through. Affliction. You're probably knowing what that word means by some things you've been through. Family dispute, breakup, loss of somebody very precious to you, hardship, somebody speaking against you, unjustly accusing you, causing you hardship on your job, maybe a loss of your employment, possibly gossiping and and hurting your reputation. We could go on and on. Illnesses, things that threaten your life, hardships. Those are called afflictions. And none of these things taste real good coming into the oven of affliction, coming into the factory of our life. But God begins developing something in us. The first thing He develops in us, and Wendy pointed it out so well, is He develops obedience in us. In Psalm 119.67 it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. He's also producing in us faith. What Landon read today in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, I had to commit to memory years ago because I needed it so bad. For brethren, we do not want you to be unaware of the affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. In order that, listen, we would not trust in ourselves, but... In God who raises the dead. What's Paul saying? He's saying God gives you hardship to get you, like me, to quit trusting in you. And to trust in Him. He'll break you down far enough, either through things He causes or things He allows, to get you to quit thinking that you can handle it all. That you can do it all. That you can muster it all. And so he uses those things to produce faith in you. He goes further and he wants to develop hope in you. Romans chapter 5 tells how all of these trials end up producing this one thing, hope, so that hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our heart. That's in Romans 5, 1 through 6. Wonderful passage of Scripture about how God is producing hope in your heart today. He's also producing love in your heart. Through uh, the the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, God is making us able to love Him properly through His discipline to share in His holiness. So think this through now. God takes all these ingredients, this, this momentary light affliction, which is really severe, beatings, stonings, canings, suffering, exposure, bad health, Threat of death. Affliction so severe that you're burdened excessively. Beyond your own strength. So you come to the end of yourself. And in that, He's producing something in your heart. He's producing something in your life. He's producing something in your soul. Faith and hope and love and obedience. But He doesn't stop there. That's what's going on in the factory today in your soul, the factory of your heart, the factory of your being. He's putting all those afflictions in or he's letting them be put in. And by that, producing faith so you trust him, hope so you look ahead, love so you embrace him, obedience so that you obey him so that he can work out this thing in the end to give you something eternal. Listen carefully, look at Paul when he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17, for momentary light affliction, those are the three words over on the left side, momentary light affliction is producing, where's that going on? In my heart, in my life, in my soul. And notice what he says, an eternal, there it is, eternal, Notice what eternal is in contrast to. It's in contrast to momentary. Most of us are going to live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. We had a wonderful 100th birthday party here just a few weeks ago as we celebrated together. It was just a sweet, sweet time. Got another selfie with my dear sister in the Lord. It was just a nice day together, and she was really impressed with how everybody came together. But man, 100 years is a long time. On this earth, but it is nothing in eternity. You're going to blink and a hundred years will pass in eternity. And you'll say, what? An eternal. What God is doing, where this factory spits out its product, is in eternity. The next thing He says is, wait. He is giving you the weight of His glory. There is no heavier, more awesome Thing in the universe than the weight of His glory. In the Old Testament, that's what the word "glory" meant. It was "kavod," and and what it meant was heavy. (laughs) And it was the idea of something that's so heavy that it's so solid. It's it's just that. And oh, God's glory is a weight. Compared to this light stuff now, it's an eternal weight. And then the third word he uses is glory. Jesus said this. He said, um, Father, I want those disciples, this is John 17, whom you've given me to be with me so that they may behold my Glory. And I talked about that last week. There's nothing going to be more precious that you've ever seen than the moment you behold Jesus. Nothing. Nothing can compare. The eternal weight of glory is to see Christ, to know Him face to face, and then to be known by Him perfectly, to be resurrected, to be free. So let's walk through what we do with this real quick. Just give you some application and let you think it through. How do I navigate this? Well, the first way that I'm going to navigate is assess the alternatives. What's the alternative? It's to give up. It's to just give up. To lose the reward. To lose the confidence. To lose the hope. To lose the love. To lose the faith. To lose the obedience. Just give up. Just get paralyzed and just sit here and let your misery fester. There's this moment in Paul's last letter where he says something so powerful. He's in prison. Everybody's left him. He's lonely. He's writing to Timothy. He asked Timothy for a couple of things. He asked him for a coat because he's cold. He asked him for company because he's alone. And he asked him for the Scriptures. Some parchments that had the Word on them. And then he says this statement. He says, For Demas, having... Loved this present world has deserted me. You see, Demas, he took the alternative route. He said, following Jesus is not worth it. Suffering for Jesus is not worth it. Whatever glory he's promising is not worth this present suffering. And so he, he chose that route. Use the comparative. Take a moment and compare the way that Paul has presented it. Light, momentary affliction, eternal weight of glory. Take a moment and compare what God is storing up for you. So that you don't despair with what's going on right now. Use the comparative and then finally, just real simply, choose the superlative. Choose what is better. Jesus gave us a lot of warnings about that. He said, "What would a prophet man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the sake of the kingdom shall gain life." A lot of scripture texts about suffering and reward. Well, let me speak about glory. In three ways that Paul does and close. Go back to Romans 8. Quick summary. The first way is that Paul says the glory of creation is going to be restored. In Romans 8 he makes this promise that's been given to us. In verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The glory of creation is going to be restored. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 unfolds it and he said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old one had passed away for there was no room for them. And so there's this glorious moment where everything God says, I make all things new. And so this is his first promise of glory. We're going to live in a new environment that's absolutely unfallen and perfect. Second, the glory of humanity redeemed. He says that in verse 24 of Romans 8. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul wants you to know, this whole raggedy thing that you're carrying around right now, and if it ain't raggedy, it will get that way. It's going to be made brand new. It's going to be made new. I was jumping the other day from one place to the other. and You know, I used to, man, I'd be up at the back of a pickup truck and I'd just launch. And now I crawl. <laughs> I just kind of work my way down, you know. It's like, I think I'm getting old. I'm not excited about the aging process. I I would like to age a little more before I check out, but I'm just not really excited about aging. There's going to be this beautiful glory of humanity restored. A sinless, beautiful, wonderful body that is reflecting perfectly the image of God originally given to us and I'm really delighted in that and the third thing is uh, well let me mention the second thing Paul gives one illustration in in Corinthians about the resurrection and uh, these are zinnia seeds anybody got zinnias in their yard they're kind of a pretty summer flower popping up right now uh, they're really ugly Paul says that the resurrection is going to be like sowing ugly seeds he says they're sown in sort of dishonor and then They're raised in honor. And I'll tell you what, zinnias are pretty. They don't look anything like the seed. Zoom in a little bit. Look at those seeds. Okay, this is me right now. All right? This is me in a hundred years. God is going to sow my body in dishonor, and it's going to decay, and I don't care how much embalming fluid they use, something's going to get to me. And, uh, He's going to raise me from the dead. And the comparison between now and then is going to be, as Paul used in 1 Corinthians, it's going to be this comparison that's beyond our imagination. A like comparison between a zinnia and a zinnia seed. Alright, final thing, the glory of God revealed. This is the thing we will behold. Some of you right now, you're kind of in the, uh, you're stuck in the kitchen And all you taste is the vanilla, and the raw eggs, and the flour, and the raw sugar. The kind of bland graham crackers. You're tasting all that right now. Some of it's really not good. And you're discouraged. It's been hard for you. Some of it's so bitter in your mouth that you... You thought about the Demas thing. You thought, if this is all God's going to give me, I'm not sure if this Christianity thing really is what I want. And you're questioning, and you're having a hard time. The vanilla's bitter. The raw eggs are offensive. The flour is unpalatable. The raw sugar, even though for a moment it's sweet, just too much of it's just like, yuck. And you're just thinking, is this all there is? Is this really all I'm going to get? Well, I'm going to tell you that God is mixing all that stuff up. And he's putting it into the oven of your affliction. And you can't see the finished product yet. But you're going to have to trust, like at the Nissan plant, that you can only see one end of the process if you're standing on the end where the raw materials go in. You have to trust that the other end, all the investment and all the hardships and all the trials and all of those different components of affliction are going to produce an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Would you bow with me? I want to encourage you first to come to Christ. There are many here today, I believe, that are on the verge of coming to Christ. Christ. But the very thing I'm talking about today is the thing that's been hard. The hardships. But you know, God's been using those to drive you toward Him. To awaken you to not hope in this life and not trust in yourself. He's been doing that because He's pushing you toward Himself and toward a glory that is incomparable. And as He's doing that, He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. To believe that Jesus really did suffer eternal affliction for you by His death on the cross. That He took into Himself all of the punishment for your sin. That in doing so, He's making it possible for all of your afflictions to be turned to glory. All of your hardships to be turned to joy. Your ashes to beauty. You're mourning for laughter. That's what He's working. He wants you to trust Him. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. In Jesus' death, He conquered death, conquered the grave, and gave the gift of Himself to us for all eternity. If you would turn from your sin in yourself right now and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you would have the eternal weight of glory awaiting you at the other end of this factory called life. Would you turn now? Pray with me now. God in heaven, I have sinned. That's no secret. You know it, and I know it. But I heard today that Jesus died for my sins and has gone to prepare a place of glory for all those who trust Him. So today, I repent, I turn away from myself and I turn to You. I believe in Jesus. Would You save me? Would You forgive me? Would You keep me? Thank You for Your love in Jesus' name. Believer, you're here today and the afflictions have been a little rough lately. You've been discouraged. The Apostle Paul wants to remind you there's another end on this factory. It's the end where all of the products come together of this life. To produce an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Would you today put your hope there in the day when you, the creation, both redeemed and the glory of God revealed? Would you put your hope in Him? As God stirs your heart today, would you stand? Would you respond to Him?